0: Welcome guys to another episode of the COVID-19 effect kind of special edition of these pivotal interviews that I've been doing lately. I'm trying to get as many kind of perspectives or point of views on the market, trying to help the audience and the community try to get some answers in, in a very uncertain time that there's really no playbook. And I wanted to bring on Stephanie Leffler, the CEO of OneSpace. And you guys might know OneSpace if you guys follow a lot of my content because I actually write a lot of the content for their blog. So I wanted to bring on Stephanie and let her kind of explain about uh, OneSpace, but let's just get more into a conversation around kind of digital and e-commerce and CPG because that is kind of one of the biggest hot topics of COVID-19 that's happening from like a retailing perspective. So I'm going to turn this over to Stephanie and she can give you a little bit more about her bio, a little bit around OneSpace.
1: Thanks, Josh. Um, I'm really excited to, to be here and chat with you today. Despite everything that's going on, I think there's uh, you know a lot to learn from all this. So I'm excited to dig in. Uh, starting at the top. OneSpace is a company that helps CPG brands improve their product information online and ultimately reach more customers and ensure that uh, consumers understand, you know, about the products that they're buying and really just helps CPGs uh, improve their performance on the digital shelf. Um, my background has been in e-commerce as far as I can remember. Um, right out of college, I started an online store and was relatively unsuccessful in that pursuit. Uh, I fortunately figured out that it was hard to build an online store and sort of parlayed my business into a do-it-yourself e-commerce software platform. Um, And fortunately, lots of others shared my experience, and that was very successful. That company was called Monster Commerce, and we had 10,000 people who were selling their products and services online, and we sort of sold everything that surrounded those. So it gave me a great foundation in e-commerce during the early days as consumers were just starting to shop in that way. Um, I started, after I sold Monster Commerce, I started OneSpace and we actually started as a a company that helped retailers improve their websites, big retailers at massive scale, writing better product content, creating attributes so that consumers could sort and filter in the easiest way possible and ultimately improve the search. And what we saw in starting probably four or five years ago, is that the retailers said, hey, we're not the best, you know, we don't have the most knowledge about these products, brands do. And fortunately, e-commerce was growing enough that brands all of a sudden were starting to invest in digital content and create that stuff themselves. And so we sort of just jumped the fence at that point and said, okay, maybe we shouldn't be helping retailers do this, we should help brands do this. And that's where we sit today. Um, Search is incredibly important in this whole, Landscape is we spend a lot of time thinking about search and how to expose products in search, but also once a customer finds a product, how can we give them the confidence that this is the right thing that I want to buy and go ahead and add the cart. So um, this has become very relevant in particular uh, in the last six weeks. Many of our customers are CPG companies. So when we talk about CPG, we think about um, food and beverage companies, both Food, regular beverage, beverage alcohol. Uh, we also have over-the-counter health, beauty, and pet customers. And you know, the people are procuring these products online in record numbers right now. So I think there's a lot of tie between uh, with your podcast and focusing on the COVID pandemic and what we do in the e-commerce space and helping brands adapt.
0: Now before we get into you know some of the other companies want to ask you a little bit around one space and just how you've kind of changed the way that you guys do business um, things that you found like I don't want I don't want to call them silver lining but like adaptations that you guys have mm-hmm. made to your business that you're saying oh wait when we get out of this when there's some semblance of normalcy we're going to actually come out of this probably stronger because we learned some things that we didn't really um, kind of institute before covid-19
1: mm-hmm. it's it's been a crazy learning experience and you know process to try to adapt quickly and make sure that our team is protected and that we're doing what we need to do for the greater good. Um, We started working from home before they kind of closed the state of Illinois. We're we're located in Illinois. And fortunately, we've spent the last two years setting up OneSpace to be a virtual or sort of office-less company. We've got good video conferencing, we have the right collaboration tools. And so the switch from being in office to work from home wasn't as tremendously difficult for us as it was for some. What I think has come out of it, though, is that the way that we use those tools has gotten has changed. Um, we've become, you know, better users of our virtual tools. We understand, uh, you know, if you're in Slack, you, there's a button that you can click and just call somebody that rather than you know wasting a lot of time having a Slack conversation. We've I think done a better job connecting with our customers and, you know, not with sort of a mandatory cadence or an account review in mind has been more of like, hey, how are you doing? Is yeah. there anything that we can do to help? Um, and I think that's been good. I feel like we've built some stronger relationships, more real relationships with our with our customers. Um, and then last but not least, we've been doing some just general leadership check-ins across the team. So we're bringing together our leadership team to really find out how everyone is doing and if there's anybody on the team that we need to help. Um, once again, without a real express intent. And I think we've discovered some good things in those conversations and um, been able to really look at people's personal lives and how they might be dealing with this. And I think that's something that will carry forward because it's not common to sit around in a leadership team meeting and say, hey, how is your team doing? How is their family life? Are they experiencing anything that's super difficult right now? I mean, maybe one-on-one you do that, but not really as a company. And so has shown me that by bringing that into focus, we can really help our team members in the way that we need to in order to ultimately be successful. Um, and that's, that's been a good thing. I think our team has really come together in that way.
0: I found that to be an interesting um, kind of positive out of all this is that because I think a lot of people, you know, are blending um, family and and work together in a, in a more kind of you know necessary way, I think. Mm-hmm. And when you're on, conference calls, video conference calls, things like that. you get to maybe meet their kids or, you you know, they, they come out of <laughs> nowhere and you get to meet <laughs> the dog. Whether you want
1: to or not, people get to meet my kids. I'll t- <laughs> you hear so you a pitter you know, and then a knock on the door and I say, uh-oh.
0: <laughs> you, you hear the dog or you hear the cat or you get to see what yeah. their their homes look like and, and things like that that you normally don't get to see. And I think that that broadens the, just the relationship between you and a client or you and an employee or, or whatever it is because I think that there's always – something that you hold back. I think you, you, mm-hmm. you put on this, you know, uh, game jersey when you go into work and, and you're a different person in, in some, you know, iteration. But then when you're in your normal habitat all the time, I think it breaks down a lot of that and you get to see and meet people on a, on a different level. So I've actually really enjoyed that. Um, I've, I think at first when, even from like a content perspective, when you're watching like Jimmy Kimmel or Fallon or something like that, at first I was a little bit like, I don't like this because I yeah. want it to be what I'm used to watching, but mm-hmm. I started to appreciate it. I'm like, wow, this is like really cool that you actually get to see an aspect of them that you normally wouldn't.
1: I agree with that entirely. I think my, my, the one space team for anybody who's watching this, who knows us, we're we're a pretty close knit team. We really do know each other. Well, we know each other's families, but on the customer side of the house, you're exactly right. We all put on our jerseys, you know, put the polish on and kind of show up and talk shop. And it has been nice to feel a little bit more connected and like there's something real there where I can see what's going on in their world and they can see what's going on in mine. So, you know, I think the um, big picture is the concept of, video and video conferencing in general is something that i hope everybody is now so much more comfortable with and even when you're not fully dressed up in the office being able to connect to somebody and look them in the eye and talk to them as if they're sitting across the table is yeah, sure. so much better than just being a voice you know on a conference call on the phone so i hope everybody gets a little bit more comfortable with being online i know before this i would always be panicking before a call I was like my is my camera on? Am I on video right now? And um, I think, uh, I think that'll be something that
0: does, it does hold after all. One of the biggest things I think that, I mean, any kind of casual um, person that's watching uh, business uh, has really kind of noticed that there's a few trends that were already in full steam, but I've have, have really picked up. And I think around retailing, specifically when we're talking about like CPG retail, so more towards like grocery, but just I guess overall in, in the retail e-commerce side of things, there's been a ton of spotlight that's been put on this because quite honestly you have to, I mean, if you yeah. have stay at home orders or restricted living where if you need certain items and you don't feel safe going outside, how do you get those items? So people are turning to these um, options in a you know kind of crazy staggering pace. I mean, I think short term, obviously there's there's a ton of great things going on, but just overall, I mean, what is your kind of heat check on if this is going to stick around or not?
1: So a couple of weeks ago, I would say my answer would have been, hey, I think clearly some people who just haven't tried this before and are gaining exposure will stick. Um, but the customer service issues as it's surrounding sort of how you procure, you know, I mean, let's talk groceries, because I feel like that's the least developed segment that's now kind of developing incredibly rapidly. There were some customer service issues around that. I think that those issues existed prior to COVID, but when you look at the quantity of people who flooded some of the services, there were some detrimental customer experiences. You know, If you were trying Instacart for the first time and you found that you couldn't get anything for three days, or you went to choose Walmart Um, grocery pickup and there were no delivery slot, there were no slots available for the next week, that's not a great customer experience. Um, Not to mention when you look at the product information that's out there online and on on average, it's still weak in terms of being able to determine, is this the right item that I want to buy? Is this the one I usually get? Um, Does this have the right amount of sugar in it or the right quantity of items in the package? Those are all issues that existed. What has been crazy is to see how rapidly, first of all, some of the retailers have innovated. I mean, I'll point to Instacart in particular. Um, Instacart's service has been incredibly valuable to lots of people. They put out a call a month ago that they were going to hire another 250,000 shoppers, which they did. They announced last week that they're going to hire another 300,000 shoppers, which they're in the process of doing. They've launched new delivery options. So that instead of picking a window, you can kind of pick first available, which allows them to be a lot more efficient as they're gathering these orders and delivering them. Um, They've launched new communication in the app. I'm just saying that the, the speed with which they have been able to innovate and provide a better customer experience has been awesome. So if I look at Instacart today, Um, You know, it's funny, one of the people who's on our team has been the Instacart account manager at OneSpace Forever and her mom called her and was like, hey, have you heard of this thing called Instacart? And she's like, mom, so glad that you pay attention (laughs) when I'm talking about work. (laughs) Yes, I know of them." But people like that who've tried it and seen Instacart improve, because we've had it now for more than a month, they've been able to see that customer experience rebound and get better. So I think we're gonna see a very high number of people with these services and instacart's not the only one i mean walmart is doing a ton of work too other delivery services are too Shipped is putting a lot of these things in place so i'm not trying to just single out instacart as the only winner but i see real rapid innovation cpg brands also i think are quickly realizing hey we need to improve the quality of the information about our items online and that's been a trend that's been happening for the last two years i mean it's been slow, but now there's more investment there. Some of the investment that was put into big on store in store promotions are, you know, is being pulled back and put into better product information, which I think is a win for everybody. So I don't know. I'm optimistic that a lot of this is going to stay. Certainly, people are going to go back to stores, no doubt. But um, I think we're going to see, uh, you know, the grocery overall online grocery anyway be two years ahead of where we would have been otherwise when this is all said and done.
0: Yeah, I think i have say in about two to three years I think it's sped things up at least from different data sources that I've, mm-hmm. I've kind of looked at. And I'm glad that you brought up Instacart because I, I think out of any one company in, in online grocery, they have um, really kind of jumped up the biggest. I think like just from a I guess, just an exposure level, you know, Mm -hmm. millions of people are choosing to um, go with Instacart. um, And then from the speed of innovation, the things that you mentioned, I mean, the amount of new features they've created in their platform um, in a matter of like a couple of weeks has been insane it's like every week you see them putting out some you know press release or something that's saying like hey we, we we solved this problem this challenge in the system and I think that that's been something super impressive to me because it is kind of an awkward introduction for a lot of people to get into mm-hmm. online grocery right now because it's the systems are at a Bending or breaking point, you know, yes. there's so many things that are working against it from a supply and demand type of, of a thing. Mm-hmm. So your, your customer experience is not going to be the most ideal and, and not to say that it ever is, has been yet. I mean, this is still a very new thing and we're still learning all kinds of, of challenges, but I think that Instacart has really like addressed those biggest challenges that has been happening just within COVID-19 like where's the buzz at and then saying okay we're gonna we're gonna create something for that exact problem and try to solve it and I think that 100%. if you you know if you compare that to Walmart you compare that to Amazon you compare that to Target or whatever like they're all doing things on their own to to mm-hmm. obviously fix there but not I think at the level of, of just precision that Instacart is is doing and I think that that's going to just prove to be like a springboard for them in the future um, if they can kind of continue to to do that in that direction CPG um, I think this has been something you and I probably have have had um, I don't want to say headaches but just like there's there's been this um, struggle I know in my career for years of being kind of a digital first um, consultant and being something that's always been in boardrooms saying, Hey, we need to look through the digital lens. We need to look through uh, how does our brand look digitally? You know, it looks great on shelf at uh, Kroger, but it doesn't look good on, you know, their websites. Um, Why, why, why are you not, you know, kind of investing in that thing? And there's always been kind of, you know, that a million excuses, I guess, but, Mm -hmm. To me, I think this has put such a spotlight on how important it is to be putting resources towards the online I guess multiple different listing. And and this is kind of where you guys come, come in because it's not just Amazon. You know, it's not just Walmart. There's, right. you know, quite honestly, hundreds of different um, you know, different ways that your your brand is perceived based around those consumers going on to Kroger.com or Albertsons.com or or whatever it is. It's like you can't just have you know your Amazon look great, even though that might have the most uh, views. But you that's have right. to kind of look at it at you know the the aggregator of so many of these different websites. I mean, I'm I'm assuming that you guys are seeing a ton of um, brands come to you guys now and saying, you know, we've dragged our feet for long enough. It's time to it's it's time to invest into this area. Is that is that kind of what you're seeing here, or is this been something that's always been going on in the background and it's just kind of accelerating?
1: I mean it's been going on in the background but what's what's really interesting is the thought process around digital and and I believe that this is going to be the moment that finally changes that for good. Some companies have been getting this right for quite some time but especially in grocery and and I'll even call out you know perishables more than even packaged grocery it's been, they've been sort of the last to the party to understand how important digital is. And in particular, their digital packaging, you know, and I do speeches, I always say, if you look at a CPG company who's running a factory, they spend, you know, 24, 36 months in an innovation cycle to create a new product, to determine if it tastes good, how to package it, how to make it look good. They spend all this time doing it. And they are incredibly meticulous in that process. When the factory is ready to begin producing the product They always have the labels there. There's nobody looking around saying, hey, where's the nutritional panel for this? I mean, it's all locked and loaded. It goes to market and distribution is tight. There are people checking it on the shelves, making sure that it's positioned right, it's turned the right way. So it's it's an incredibly well-oiled machine. Yet these same companies will take a small team of three and say, guys, you're in charge of the digital shelf. You're in charge of e-commerce. And all of a sudden, They really have to put together that same process, that same assembly line for content, the same distribution channel uh, control, and then checking the quality once it reaches the shelf at all of these different customers who actually receive different product. If you think about it from a digital label standpoint, you know, when when you're sending a can, for lack of a better term, everybody's getting the same can for the most part. When you're sending digital product content, each of these retailers ask you for different information in a different format and so not only do you have the challenge of getting it to every place on time making sure it ends up there you're actually sending different stuff so the scale problem that e-commerce teams have to deal with is it's pretty crazy and until recently there weren't many customers or m- many companies or cpgs who were really investing in what was required to do that well and a lot of it is because the percentage of pie for this panel in terms of total sales wasn't big enough to make that investment. I think what we're seeing now is that pie is going to be big enough that it's warranted for the companies to put the people, systems, and resources in place to deliver great product content to all of the different digital shelves. And you're right, Amazon came in and created a big enough slice of the pie for lots of companies that it made sense to invest there. And everybody else was too small. Well, now we're in a different place. There are people procuring lots of goods outside of Amazon. Amazon's still important, but the ability to manage across the digital shelf is really where you start to gain scale and you start to really see the the overall benefit to the bottom line.
0: I mean, Amazon has, has been one of those things during COVID-19 that has probably had the most spotlight from a positive and a negative side of mm-hmm. things. Um, but I think that it has shown that Maybe they're not perfect. Um, and for a CPG brand that has gone all in on Amazon and just thought, hey, the digital channel is Amazon, that's it, that's all mm-hmm. we have to worry about. I think it shows a little bit of, you know, kind of cracks in, in that thought pattern and saying, okay, well, you know, we need to be focusing also some attention at Target or some of our attention mm-hmm. on Walmart because you're seeing some of the numbers come out um, with those um, retailers and you're seeing, you know, year over year growth in digital and numbers that are just like astronomically high. And and you're saying, well, the customers are going where they need to go. And and if you're not in those places and you don't, your brand's not represented properly, it doesn't look right. You're going to lose those to an emerging or competitor brand on shelf at that digital shelf. It's kind of, it's broadening the I guess the look of, of the digital channel. Cause I think that the, it is. the way to the way to sell it a lot of times as a strategist is that you know, you you, you lead with your best uh, foot. And that's Amazon usually. You're like, oh, mm-hmm. look at you know, look at all the uh, business that you're potentially losing and, and they get fixated on one retailer. But then yes. I think now it's they're starting to realize wow, this has gotten to the scale and, and that it makes sense to look at other retailers.
1: That's right, and you know part of this is the way the way retailers have reported sales has I think has challenged the progress of their digital efforts. So if we look at um, Walmart reporting grocery pickup sales or target reporting curbside delivery sales, people forget that those goods are all procured digitally just because they're not shipped, it doesn't doesn't matter. It's about how the consumer, makes the choice from the shelf, grabs it, and puts it into their cart. And when that's happening digitally and you don't have a consumer walking in store, you need to be investing in that more disjointed consumer journey. Like in-store activations aren't going to play if somebody is never getting out of their car. And it's been happening for a while, but when a CPG looks at their sales on target, they may not see what percentage of those sales are actually coming from a digital shopping experience. And so I just I think it's put focus on it. If those companies, if the big retailers would help the CPGs understand what how many dollars are actually being driven through their digital purchasing channels in a very clear way, I think it would help get better investment. And overall, everybody wins because the retailer connects with their customers where they want to connect. The CPGs get better product information to the right customers at the right time, and the customer ultimately wins because. They're going to have a better experience if there's better information there for them to consume. So yeah. I, you know, I, I do hope that as a result of this, some of that reporting improves, so CPGs can make better decisions.
0: Yeah, and I agree with you. I think you need to separate those things to show the value. But mm-hmm. ultimately, it's it's all omni, anyways. You know, you you really. It's- Need to be looking at it as an aggregate because you 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 don't want to kind of bucket your spending based around the behavioral patterns of the customer the customer is going to choose how they want to shop when they want to shop you know what however they want to get it fulfilled so it's you have to think of it as this aggregate but at the current pace you're you're kind of needing it to be broken out for for the proper investment to be put towards it because right that's now true. you're just thinking oh my you know my target sales are up 25 those mu- the stores must be killing it right now you don't realize that that's actually you know, 23% of that growth rate is actually coming from maybe pickup or coming from, you know, hyper-local fulfillment where they're actually picking it from the shelves of the store and shipping it. You know, you're not seeing that break down to the point where you're going, oh, that makes much more sense. But in the long run, it all goes, it's all the same anyway. So it's kind of weird because you got to take a step back to move forward. (laughs) That's right.
1: I mean, and I hear it every day where, you know, the people who are the small e-commerce team who are trying to internally make an argument to get the resources that they need in order to do this stuff don't have the data. They don't have the information to be able to come in and say, hey, let me explain to you how this works. Here's what it is. Here's the dollars that we're talking about. And that's, you know, that's a big challenge. I feel like that's a place where um, I hope the retailers will step in and start to improve things so that this can get better for everybody.
0: I want to kind of zone in and kind of get a little bit tighter here towards more like the tactical side and mm-hmm. around product content. And I was kind of curious if you guys have, have picked up on a few kind of key things that you've been talking to some of your CPG clients and saying, Hey, let's look at your product content. Cause I think there's that misunderstanding that product content is a project and not a process. Like it needs to be continuously like adjusted. Um have you guys been zoning in on some things that um, have been really working um, for some of the CPG clients like certain keywords or certain like mm-hmm. maybe images or, or anything like that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are some things that are just continuing to be big winners. So, the first thing that sounds so basic that I would say is is working is for customers who invest in the management of getting content from their system to the digital shelf. And the reason I say this is because great content, if you create, it has to be there to work. And we're still in an environment where there's a lot of change that happens on that digital shelf after a CPG sends content there that they may not be aware of. So they might send 15 beautiful advanced images that merchandise their product perfectly. And three days later, those images might disappear. It's because we're in this time of tremendous change on the retailer side, systems aren't always perfectly integrated, but the companies who say, hey, I'm actually gonna invest in making sure that my content is there and correct continuously are probably overall the the biggest winners because we see lots of people investing in content, but not investing in that continuous last mile delivery of the content to the shelf. So that's number one. As far as the actual product content goes, If you told me today, hey, you have, you know, one dollar and you can put it anywhere on the product page, where would you put it? Um, I would say it'd be a real tough call between product titles, which are generally inexpensive, but do require some strategy and images, Um, you know, with mobile phones being so tremendously important in this space and shopping by app people look at those images as their primary source of product information frequently. If you look at an Amazon page, you know, the actual product description on a mobile device is in Siberia. I mean, you have to work really hard to find it, but the images are top, front and center. You swipe through them. And so we've been telling customers, Hey, it's in your bullets. If it's important enough to be kind of a key selling point, there needs to be an image about it. It brings the customer's attention there. And that investment I would say is the one that seems to, just continue to deliver you know once you get the customer that paid those images really can help them make their decision and bring forth everything you'd put on a package but just you have a lot more room and you have a lot more um ability to customize that message in a way that's going to connect with
0: the customer kind of a question around maybe the i don't want to say opportunistic or like kind of the profiteering aspect of like the search volumes um -hmm. i know you guys would would not be advocating any of that stuff for your clients, but I know you guys also do just like general audits of of just mm-hmm. the platforms as a whole. Yeah. What's kind of general thoughts on on that? And you know, is there is there some things that you've scratched your head and said like eh, this is, you know, maybe not the way I would approach it.
1: Yeah. I mean, so, you know, if you take Amazon, Amazon is probably the most wild, wild west in terms of what people do there to win. I think there's um I don't know, I honestly, I struggle with it a little bit because search is so critical, it's it's everything. And in, in being in the first six slots across all the platforms, like there is no platform where people browse through, you know, 10 pages of search yeah. results, it just doesn't happen. Um, you know, I was talking to somebody at Instacart recently, I think they said there's an average of 17 or 18 searches per order that happen. So, you know, I don't know what that number is on the other platforms, but it's a lot, people are using search. so. As a CPG on one hand, I'm like, do everything you can do to help your product show up in front of that customer if it matches what they want. You know, don't, I think the worst are the ones that go off script and make crazy claims and do things just to match search volume. I mean, that, that doesn't help anybody. And I don't actually think it helps the product that is showing up in the search results because they're not connecting with the customer to buy it. But on the Amazon, you will see products that have, you know, 40 uses comma separated in a title And to me, I think that's a bit overboard, but I think in general, CPG companies, they're not used to expanding their mind in terms of how can I get the way a customer searches into this title um, without violating legal and regulatory guidelines. So in general, I mean, I scratch my head when I see some of the extreme examples of this, but I also think if CPGs in particular could realize it's a missed opportunity not to help a customer find the product if that's what they're If that's what they're looking for, so um, you know, I've presented on this a million times. But if you think about hot dogs versus franks, it's a very good example. You know, they're like, "This is not a hot dog. This is a frank," and we're like, "Okay, I get it." (laughs) But when people search franks online, they want hot sauce, not hot dogs. So how can we how can we be creative and say, "Okay, you know, something something franks, comma twelve pack of hot dogs." There's lots of ways to do it. But at the end of the day, I use the line of it creates a better customer experience, then it's a good idea. If it detracts from the customer experience, it's a bad idea. And I feel like that helps the CPGs and the retailers stay aligned and, of course, with customers.
0: Yeah, I I agree with you. I I, I think that there's that spectrum of the the brands that probably are pushing the limits. They are probably pushing way too far. And I think it, it comes off as going to look bad on them after this all goes back to some semblance of normalcy. Like people, people are paying attention. They know what's happening, even if they're not necessarily like, you know, chatting about it on social media, or whatever. Like this oh, is probably a sure. time where, where people have the most amount of maybe free time or different free time than they they've had in their lives. So people are, are being very closely watching like what brands are doing, how are they treating their employees? How are they treating customers? How are they, you know, like there's so many oh. things that they're like, they're kind of putting in their brain. But, on the opposite side of your point, like there's a lot of probably large um, CPG brands, legacy CPG brands that are so conservative that they probably have some like different use cases of their products that they're just not even mentioning and, b- but are greatly in line with like what consumers are looking for today. They're They're looking for, you know, different answers to their new questions being that they're stuck at home and, and for whatever reason, I, I guess I've seen it on both sides, but I wasn't really thinking about the point you made around them not pushing the limits. Cause I tend to work with a lot of like, you know, the emerging brands or mm-hmm. the ones that are like on the, the value add functional side that are very much there. They love throwing in a bunch of buzzwords. They love throwing in that kind of stuff. And Absolutely. I'm always like telling them like, you know, Chill out. Exactly. Like, like, don't look bad. Um, where on the opposite side of it, I, I totally are now seeing that side of it. Going, wow, you know, they're probably not really pushing the limits to the level they could because they need to to jump up in the search results um, at a time like this. They don't need to be sitting back and and waiting for customers to go to page three to get to you know something that could be perfect for what they're looking for.
1: Yeah, it's, it is really interesting. I mean, I think emerging brands, obviously. I would say emerging brands win online over in-store for sure. That's where they're going to gain exposure. I think your point is perfect for emerging brands, which is it's really important to think a little bit like a bigger brand right now and not, not do things, especially as it relates to the pandemic and the needs of consumers in this time that is going to be seen as over the edge or disrespectful or um, sort of you know profiting at a time where it's about, helping people and what they need. On the other side, this, the big CPG brands are incredibly conservative around this. Um, and I don't think that that's necessarily misplaced. I think the best way to protect their brand is to be conservative. Yeah, right. You know, my Where I'm coming from with them is that I think that they can take a page from the emerging brands and say, hey, there are some things maybe not related to this particular moment in time where they should be thinking differently pushing the limits and not being quite so conservative because you can change things online in a heartbeat. You can't change a package spend 36 months putting together and then have to run off a, a factory line. But If I launch something today on Amazon that I don't think is, is good for my brand, I can change it tomorrow. And so we just we need to loosen them up a little bit to understand that you can experiment and be a little less conservative because you can take care of it very quickly. So it's, um, It's been interesting. I mean, there have definitely been some things that I've seen online as it relates to the pandemic that I think, hmm, that brand should probably not have done that. Um, And and I think you're right. Consumers are paying attention.
0: Well, I've really appreciated the conversation, Stephanie. Um, I wanted to, I guess, let you plug. You guys are also doing a um, weekly content. um, I think it's called what's a lonely learner
1: Learner series. Right.
0: Which um, I would plug you that you're going to be the one actually on today's, but uh, by the time this is up, uh, somebody will have to revert back and and watch that one. But if somebody wanted to Mm -hmm. um, watch that series, because I know you guys have a number of weeks that are going to be continuing with that or just following one space or getting in contact with one space, how, how could they do that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You guys can just hit our website at onespace.com. We have links to the whole Lonely Learner series, and there's a lot of really good content up there. Um, you can get to our blog that way. You can get to a contact us form. So please feel free to hit our website. And if you don't see what you're looking for, just reach out, and we'll get it to you. Um, you know, the It's an interesting time because this industry, meaning CPG e-commerce, is a very heavy conference and live event focused group. Um, it's been one of the things that I love most about this space is that people actually make the effort to go to these conferences and connect because we're all learning so much. It's developing very quickly. It's a good, good event. Um, uh, I guess events are really important here. So the reason we launched Lonely Learners is because all of that great event content that everybody is getting together to share, is not available. And so we're trying to bring some of the best of the best speakers from those different conferences into the Lonely Learner series to keep the content flowing um, it's very conversational. So, you know, I hope as people do join that they'll participate and ask questions. That's the whole idea here. But I know everybody in the space is trying to figure out how to keep the information flowing. So um, thanks for the the plug on that. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, no problem. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think this is the time when, you know, everybody needs to think more towards sharing information, collaborating, because we're in a time when, you know, competition is is not really all that fun or fair when somebody is, is weakened by something that they didn't do themselves. So I think at this point, I yes. think push everybody to a point where we get past this and then we can, you know, compete get like crazy again, trenches. you know, yeah, get back <laughs> in the trenches. But right now I think at the, and I've, I have really appreciated, um, a ton of, of really, um, great thought leaders, brands, whatever, just oversharing during this time, mm-hmm. because I think this is the moment where you just need to just put it all out there and say, Hey, we we have some things that have been working for us that we'd love to share with other people. Hopefully you guys can also benefit from this because we want to get to the the other side of this so we're all back and we're competing again because that's when it's fun, when we're all competing at our best. It's not fun when you're competing against somebody that's, you know, got a broken leg or something like that. That's not that's no fun. No,
1: I couldn't agree more. I think it's been that's been another good side effect um of all of this. And you know, I think some of that will stay the same, but I agree. It's important that everybody does their best to help one another and to share and stay connected. And so, um, yeah, I appreciate you doing this. Hopefully uh, as people are watching this, some people will watch it after all of this has uh, subsided and um, we're through it. And I think it's been a good learning experience for everybody about how to adapt